Hi everyone, uh, this is uh, Tommy Shea. I'm from the OCBC Treasury Research Team. So we have been in this uh, pandemic for more than three months. So market has been fairly choppy. So we are seeing a lot of opportunities and uh, risks. So I think for today, we want to uh, zoom into the credit markets. So I will talk to our credit analysts uh, from the OCBC Credit Research uh, to find out more details about you know, how well the credit market is prepared for this uh, uh, pandemic. So together with me, we have uh, Andrew Wang, uh, Hongwei, Zhiqi, uh, and Yizian. So they will share with uh, us uh, their views about the banking sectors, property sectors, as well as the rates. Okay, let's start from the uh, financial sector outlook first. So now it seems like most of the banks have already reported their first quarter earnings. So what are the interesting takeaways uh, from those earnings? So let, let me pass the uh, time to, to Andrew for your insights. Thank you. Hi, Tommy, and uh, everybody, thank you. I think the key uh, highlights from the bank earnings is number one, reduced uh, earnings uh, performance year on year. Uh, number two, the reason for that is uh, significantly higher provisions. Uh, and number three, uh, the fact that even though the provisions are a lot higher, they do not seem to necessarily reflect the challenging operating environment. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, basically, the provisions in general are roughly, say, around a billion uh, for each bank, uh, regardless of uh, the bank's balance sheets, and that's a, a very general view. But uh, when you think about what uh, uh, portion of the balance sheet is actually at risk uh, or is classified as being weak that can be anything from 30 to billion uh, 30 to 40 sorry billion dollars so why is there such a big discrepancy uh, I think that is because of firstly the significant government stimulus and regulatory forbearance which has been put in place to support the bank's ability to continue supporting the economy as, uh, as uh, every country goes through this rough patch and also, uh, there is this expectation in general, because you can call it a base case, if you will, that uh, there will be some recovery commencing in the second half of this year, and it will become a more pronounced recovery uh, in 2021. So basically, uh, although uh, the provisions seem somewhat low, there is this uh, expectation that these two factors will support uh, the bank's credit uh, quality going forward. Okay, so basically, I think one of the key assumptions is really about the uh, the timing of the recovery. So, I mean, hopefully, we're going to see more clarity at the end of 2020, then the global economy start to restart, maybe in 2021. So, would that be the similar assumptions for the property sectors? Uh, maybe I will bring in Hongwei, because I know, you know, the property market is always very hot. Uh, topic, especially in Singapore. So we have seen the significant decline of the transaction volumes for the past one to two months. However, it seems like the property prices has been kind of remain quite resilient at the moment. So shall we, shall we worry about the property markets or are we still believe we're going to see kind of the, you know, recovery towards the end of the year? Oh, hi, Tommy. Uh, thanks for introducing. For me, I'm actually a bit on the bearish camp. I think that the property prices may hit down uh, this year for Singapore. So far, in terms of property transactions, uh, most of the data that we got is from the first three months of this year. Uh, that's uh, actually before much of the circuit breaker uh, kicked in for Singapore. 
So if you think about it, uh, from the UR data that came out, uh, we saw 1% quarter-on-quarter uh, quarter decline. I think it is actually somewhat significant already because it showed that the previous uh, strength of the property market is already starting to falter. Uh, in March itself, we saw that the numbers in sales were down 33 or rather 32% month-on-month from February. And in April, uh, what I've been hearing from the developers and property agents is that barely any uh, units moved. I think this is not too surprising given the circuit breaker. Um, a lot of Singaporeans, they love to see, touch uh, the property. And I don't think they will want to pull the trigger to buy a property if they are not there, even though technically they can still buy over a virtual uh, show flat. In terms of uh, property uh, sentiments itself, I am a bit more bearish, uh, mainly because number one, transactions are down. Number two, uh, as you, I mean, Andrew also talked about, the outlook is a bit weak. Even if we are talking about uh, perhaps a two-half kind of uh, recovery, I'm not sure uh, whether it will be enough to uh, put us back to the position of uh, 2019's uh, strength fully. And in terms of um, what developers are likely to do, um, although developers are now given a bit more uh, time in order to move the units, because of this uh, COVID outbreak. Uh, however, I think uh, um, developers themselves will still want to be able to move the units a bit faster because that's where they get their cash flows from. So I think uh, for the developers, they might want to shift the unit pricing down a bit, give some discounts so that the property market will move. And uh, the more vulnerable segment in my view is actually the luxury market. Because for the more luxury market, especially those located in the core central region, uh, these are typically uh, bought by foreigners. Uh, however, at this point in time, and I think for perhaps for the next few months, we won't be seeing a lot of foreigners coming into Singapore. Uh, and so the transactions in this uh, segment may be quite uh, depressed. Um, for me, I'm actually also looking at the developers, which I think are a bit more at risk. So primarily, I think um, developers with a lot of maturing, maturing debt and little liquidity, they might struggle a bit more and they might actually think about monetizing some of these properties a bit faster. Also, it also depends how much of these properties uh, have been pre-sold by the developers. The ones that have pre-sold more will obviously be in a more comfortable position. And uh, although recurring income uh, technically a lot, a lot of these developers, they like to hold like retail properties and office properties and recurring income may actually buffer some of this downturn. However, as we understand, uh, things are not exactly looking very rose, rosy for some of these uh, properties. Is that right, Zixi? Yeah, so for our REIT side, um, things are slightly more stable compared to the property developers, but within the REITs portfolio, we have different asset types. For instance, we have retail, office, industrial, as well as hospitality. So for retail and hospitality, they are more hard hit relative to industrial and office. So overall, for the results so far, it's within expectations. We see that mainly the retail REITs, they are retaining distributable income, which can translate to a lower dividend payout to build their cash reserve. This is a prudent move, which we view favorably. Singapore is still going through the circuit breaker. So in relation to the virus outbreak, we are not out of the woods yet. So building cash buffers today so that they have funds to tap on if needed in future, that, that is good in our view. So the REITs also have 12 months to distribute up to 90% of their distributor income 
for now, this is a recent change. So the REITs are no worse off by delaying distributing the distributable income to a later this year or early next year. So interestingly, majority of the retail REITs have yet to see tenants seek protection under the COVID-19 Act, which is, which is possibly we are still in the early stages as uh, thus far the REIT seems to be resilient. That said, we expect the retail REITs to see negative rental reversions stemming from lower footfall and tenant sales in the coming quarters. Comparatively, we expect industrial and office REITs to hold up better. In addition to earnings, we saw a big change in the REIT sector from a credit viewpoint uh, this quarter. So that is MAS raising the aggregate leverage limit to 50% from 45%. This provides the REITs with greater financial flexibility to manage their capital structure and have more room to raise debt financing. Typically, REITs have an implicit cap for themselves, which is maintained at 5 percentage point from the limit. As such, with the higher aggregate leverage limit, we expect the percentage of debt a REIT has against its total assets to creep up and settle at a new norm, which is around 40 to 45 percent handle in our view. So, in addition to that, MAS is also giving the REITs further flexibility by deferring the implementation of a new minimal interest coverage of 2.5 times before they are allowed to increase their leverage beyond a prevailing 45 percent to 2022, which is around 1.5 years from now. In our view, an interest coverage of 2.5 times should be relatively easy for the REITs to hit. Historically, the REITs have an interest coverage of around four times on average. Okay, so, so based on our current uh, conversation, so it seems like uh, uh, it's still too early to conclude. You know, I mean, as mentioned by Zhuqi, we are still in the early stage for, for REITs in particular. And, uh, but on the, on the positive note, so we have received quite a lot of government support uh, in those uh, sectors. Um, back to maybe property and the financials, I think Hongwei's view on the property is still relatively on the negative side. So based, uh, let's say if we are going to have a, this weak outlook uh, on, on the property in the, in the coming quarters, are we going to see the negative impact on the banking sector as well? I mean, because of the weak uh, property outlook. So, you know, um, between the, uh, developers and the banks, you know, which uh, maybe which which sector offer the slightly better defensive uh, value uh, to the investors at at the current stage. Oh, that's a, a good question, Tommy. I guess uh, if you look at the balance sheet of the banks, actually, the loan portfolio itself is heavily skewed towards exposure to building and construction, as well as mortgages. And actually, what the banks have uh, published. Uh, is uh, some statistics around the amount of loans that they are currently deferring or providing a moratorium over, um, as uh, as some of these borrowers cannot uh, cannot repay. So there is some underlying risk there, but again, you know, credit dispersion is what is paramount right now, which uh, I think other members in the team will attest to. Uh, and in particular, that's the same for banks. At the end of the day, for those banks, particularly the Singapore banks, that are systemically important, whilst there is that underlying uh, risk uh, there, the fact that there is some government support measures there means that in general, you know, I, I feel that the banks will be well supported. Their capital ratios are, are very strong in terms of being above the minimum requirements which have been somewhat relaxed. So their ability to withstand 
this uh, this challenging period, I would say is is stronger than a lot of the other names that we cover. I think when you when you really boil it down, you know, every credit that we look at has a, a business side and a financial side. Uh, the business um, uh, impact uh, to all of our credits is. Um, is unquestionable, it's going to be very bad. The outlook is uncertain as we touched on. Um, so really what it boils down to is, is where's the strength in the, in the financials, which I think we look at for both the banks and corporates and we see that the strength uh, on the financial side for the banks in terms of the capital as well as their liquidity is, is still quite strong. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 please all my, yeah. On my, sorry, on my end, I think uh, Andrew makes a, a very compelling case. I think uh, I, 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 I'm actually quite convinced that, uh, you know, like DBS, UOB and uh, other banks are, def should sound a, bit, a lot more stronger than where the developers are. And also another point I thought about that is interesting is that uh, how strong developers are really, you know, depends on how strong the banks are and how much support the banks are willing to uh, give. Uh, ultimately, um, developers they, they, they take on uh, leverage they, they take on debt to uh, undertake construction projects so if banks are still willing to support the developers then of course the developers themselves will be uh, most of them uh, they should be okay as long as uh, they, they, they still can maintain a level of uh, sales in order to move the units and uh, clear out the debt uh, so far um, I, I think although, although I think it's a bit uh, too early days and I think uh, no uh, developer so far has or rather no big developer has claimed a default yet. I think uh, it's uh, obvious that uh, things will not turn out so rosy for a lot of these uh, developers. Uh, there were a couple that announced the results and uh, so far the pre-sales are down a lot. And, 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 and so what, what, what I think is that um, in terms of uh, uh, property companies, uh, how, how it evolves will, will really depend on how um, how much uh, sales they can make in the future, and also, of course, uh, dependent on uh, bank support. Yeah, I think that's a quite interesting point. So I think really a stronger banking sector in Singapore is really the good foundation for a lot of sectors. Okay, let me let me maybe bring uh, Izian to the uh, discussion. Let's just uh, you know talk a bit more about the rates. So since the launch of two thousand two, I think uh, the rates has been a must have assets. Uh, in lots of the Singapore investor, investors' portfolio, right? So we have gone through the turbulence uh, back in 2008, global financial crisis. So what are the difference between uh, 2008 crisis and the now? Uh, so how investors are impacted in particular by this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic? So I think if you step, take a step back in 2008, particularly for the REIT sector, at that point in time, the REITs as a sector in Singapore is still a fairly new asset class. I think the first REIT in Singapore was in the early 2000s. So the charts from back then actually show that REITs were very much, uh, people were still seeing it kind of like a growth stock. Whereas fast forward to let's say since especially 2018 onwards it's very much seen as something that is defensive people buy it because they want uh, some stability in their portfolio perhaps this is also because investors here um, maybe because of, of uh, people getting older and wanting to build a more uh, defensive dividend-based buffer and there's really not much you can choose from apart from the REIT sector so the way 
we 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 are hearing from investors is some of this have uh, so some people actually see reinvestments as a substitute for bonds, which you know in our view we actually don't believe that's the case. Um, so that's on the bigger picture front. Specific to COVID, um, what we are seeing now is very unprecedented. Even during the GFC, we don't see occupancy levels dropping that significantly. You don't have a sudden big event that uh, is is hurting footfalls that quickly or, or even um, so you have that for retail and then you have that for hospitality back then the occupancy rates were still held at above 90 percent so today we see occupancies for hotels say it's below 50 percent for Singapore and in some other geographies it's less than 30 percent and that's assuming that they are getting alternative income from uh, stay at home uh, notices where the travelers come back into the country and then they are put up in this hotel. But when that, assuming that is no, is not even there, we're talking about occupancies of maybe zero and we see very big needs, for example, escort residents, uh, trust needing to close uh, some of their properties. I think it's 18 of their properties, mainly in France. So, so that's the biggest difference. Right. So I think really we're seeing a lot of unprecedented numbers from the uh, different sectors. So maybe let's just quickly wrap up what we want to uh, share today. So maybe uh, let's end up with talking about a little bit, uh, you know, your uh, risks and opportunities in your opinion, uh, in your respective uh, areas. So let's start uh, from Andrew first. Thanks, Tommy. I think the risks is still the uh, the uncertainty, uh, but the opportunities uh, are that uh, looking at the fundamentals uh, remains important. So those companies that were strong before the crisis are most likely going to recover um, once this crisis passes or as economies recover. Uh, I think the opportunities are in those economies where there is a progressive uh, opening uh, earlier than others. So particularly, we still like the Singapore and the Australian banks more than say the European banks. And uh, that's reflected in our, uh, in our current rating scale. That's it for me. Uh, thank you. How about Hongwei? Uh, hi, uh, for the reasons I mentioned, I think uh, property market outlook is challenging. And especially for the individual, if you think about it, uh, if you are not so sure whether you still hold on to a job, whether you still get a pay rise uh, next year and so on, uh, I'm not sure if you will be thinking or committing to a big ticket purchase. But let's say if you are really fortunate to have a lot of cash and your business somehow uh, gets better because of COVID, then you, if you are thinking about buying property, I will say that there's opportunity uh, and the opportunity might get better down the road if uh, developers start to cut back on pricing. Uh, of course, that really depends on uh, a lot of other factors also because as we know for property, it's not just about the general uh, property price, it's also a lot about the location specific and specifics related to the project. Yeah, so uh, good luck if you are looking for one. Yeah, so we have a lot of uncertainties going forward, I guess. So then of course, uh, we need a diversification, right? I think that's basically what the risk market can really provide uh, us about the diversification. So uh, let's move on to Zhichi and Yizian. So to share with us, uh, what do you think about the risks and opportunities in the risk markets? For the for REITs, the key risk that we see is 
it's lying in the retail sector and it's negative rental reversion as well as lower operating income. But on the flip side, for opportunities, we expect industrial REITs in particular, those with data property, data center properties types to hold up well. So I think uh, Zichi has given quite a good uh, recent opportunities of uh, where we see in the REITs market. So I'll just give a more broader view from the corporate sector. I think the main risk is actually in the high yield space. Um, so just now, Andrew and Hongwei talk a bit about how uh, in Singapore, we have the banks, which is really underpinning this, but it doesn't mean that um, every single corporate out there is still going to get the financing, which is required. So we think um, after a very benign 2019, where we actually saw no defaults, we may see some in the same space and also the broader Asia dollar space this year. So we'll try to avoid those. And in terms of opportunities, we think um, companies who are strong will still try to come back to the market for new issuances. So that could potentially be interesting when they pay up more to, to try and tap the market. And uh, we also think that investors can think about names that are issuer neutral for. So that's really like the crossover space where uh, there are some companies where it's not strictly in the very high grade bucket, but they have good access to bank debt. Okay, great. I think that will lead to the end of our today's uh, discussions. So uncertainty is the keywords. Uh, diversification is important for uh, all our you know, portfolios. So, I mean, we just uh, you know, we need to be, uh, still take the extra caution uh, given the uncertainty part of this uh, pandemic story. So yeah, hope everybody stays safe and stay healthy. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.